Today on Palm Sunday, we're taking a break from our exposition of going through the book of 1 Corinthians to concentrate on what happened on this particular day. We'll be in several passages, but as is in the bulletin, the main one will be in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. Well, after months of going back and forth all over Galilee, Samaria, Perea, and portions of Judea, Jesus crossed the Jordan River and thus was back in Judea for good. He and his disciples headed for Bethany, a little village about two miles east of Jerusalem. This was where he had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. This miracle was not just for the benefit of Lazarus. Uh, Think about it. How many people have to die twice? It was for his benefit for a little while to stay on this earth. But besides the benefit to him and his sisters, Mary and Martha, it was a major sign of who he was, the Messiah who had power over life and power over death itself. It was a very public miracle, and thus it enraged the Jewish leadership who wanted desperately to get rid of Jesus because he threatened them their influence and power and position. We read in John 11, verses 53 and 54, So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. But now... In John 12, 1, Jesus had come back to Bethany, very close to Jerusalem, and so very close to the strong arm of the ruling council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. If it looked like he was doing this on purpose, he was doing this on purpose. Jesus knew his time was very, very near. So he purposefully walked right back into the teeth of the Sanhedrin's murderous authority. And after he arrived, we learn in John 12 that Mary and Martha and Lazarus gave a dinner for Jesus, probably on Saturday evening. Remember, the Sabbath was over at sunset on Saturday. John 12, verses 2 through 11. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said... Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. 
She has kept it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. If you are able, would you please stand as I continue reading in John 12, be reading verses 12 through 19. John 12, verses 12 through 19. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are going, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe seat it. That Sunday was Palm Sunday. The Old Testament verse quoted in verse 15 there in John 12 is from Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And what did the people shout? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, which is a quote from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. They knew their Old Testament scriptures. Hosanna is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word in Psalm 118, meaning is a transliteration, excuse me, of the Hebrew word in Psalm 118, meaning save us now. So if we read Psalm 118, 25 through 26, let's read it that way. Save us now, we pray. O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house 
of the Lord. The crowd, this crowd, to a large degree, was proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. These were mainly pilgrims from the countryside who had come to Jerusalem for Passover at the end of the week. Many of these were from Galilee, where Jesus had spent most of his time. Now, in saying that, what is being inferred? These people had seen and heard him more than all these other people, especially the people in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he had spoken mainly to the Jewish leadership, a lot of times with very, very harsh warnings and words. Keep that in mind. Well, do these people understand how Jesus saves? Not really. They expected him to establish his kingdom right then and there. That's the kind of salvation they were looking for. We would be no different. This was mainly political, freedom from the oppression of the Romans. Yes, These people did see the signs Jesus performed. They had recognized his authority, but they associated that authority with a deliverance, mainly from outward oppression. John writes in verse 16 that even Jesus' disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, what? Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. This is interesting, is it not? They used their Old Testament scriptures in recognizing Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah. And what did they do? They got on board with the Old Testament prophecy. They laid down palm branches and cloaks before Jesus, who was coming on a donkey, exactly as the Old Testament prophesied the Messiah would come. The rabbis of Jesus' day and before actually taught that the Messiah must be greeted this way. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Everything he did fulfilled every detail of Scripture. This event is called the triumphal entry for a reason, but there's an even better name for it, the presentation of the king. So on this day, Palm Sunday, we see the beginning of the momentous events of the week Jesus was crucified. Many of these people who greeted Jesus clearly saw the messianic implications of what Jesus had already done. But they probably didn't understand the two-part coming. First, this part, to suffer and to die. And then to come in glory, to vanquish all enemies, judge and rule forever and ever in the new heavens and new earth. Now Luke gives us a little more clear description about the Pharisees' reaction to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem 
And Jesus' response in Luke 19, 39 through 40. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered. And this has always gotten me. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. In other words, nothing, absolutely nothing could stop this presentation of the true king. There had to be vocal testimony which pictured creation's response to his second and final coming. What do I mean? Listen to these verses. Psalm 96, 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Or in Psalm 98, verses 7 through 9. A lot of these uh, you may be singing with your children if you haven't already. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the river clap their hands. The rivers. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 12. If you want to sing this, go ahead. For you shall go out with joy. That's my attempt. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Matthew 3 verse 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. I hope you see the emphasis here. This day had to happen. It was prophesied. It was meant to proclaim to the world from the mouths of God's people who had seen him, heard him, and most probably had a very high esteem and maybe belief in him. Maybe these were many of the people who responded to the first sermon in Acts, the 3,000 that believed. Jerusalem was teeming with pilgrims who came for Passover. The one shouting for his crucifixion later, incited by the religious leaders themselves. But there were probably many of these people that were weeping and not shouting. What about that Sunday evening after he came into Jerusalem? 
Mark 11, verses, verse 11 says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now remember that in the place Jesus was looking over, the temple, every element and its design in general and specifically all of it pointed to Jesus, to his person, and to his work. So when he looked things over, did he see a true reflection of God's holiness and man's need of a Savior, a substitute, and a sacrifice? Or did he see something perverted, both in its setup and how it worked? Well, it's now Monday. Let's see what happens. In the cursing of a fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. Both of these events reveal what God's real evaluation is of the nation of Israel in general and the Jewish religious leaders in particular. Both of these evaluations by Jesus are striking and they're meant to penetrate people's hearts. First, the fig tree. At growing up, this is probably one of the strangest stories for a child to hear. So the rest of you must know it well enough to explain it. Here we go. On Monday, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem from Bethany, Mark eleven twelve through 14, we read. On this day, the following day, after Sunday, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard this. The first part of April is not fig season in Israel. Leaves appearing means figs in about six weeks. So the first to the middle of May. But along with the leaves, little nodules appear. And those nodules are edible. This tree had leaves, but no nodules. And Jesus curses the tree. So what is he saying? As in many places in scripture, Israel is depicted as a fig tree. So Israel is making a, prof a profession as we just saw in the triumphal entry. But there's obvious problems. Israel makes a profession illustrated by the fig tree and leaf. But it is a false or empty profession for the country, the nation in general, that's illustrated by the absence of the nodules. In other words, Jesus saw the profession, but he knew that as a nation there would be no 
immediate fruit. The Jewish leadership would use their authority to kill him just four days from now. Is there any more striking example in the Bible of how God in his sovereignty uses the rejection and evil plan to kill his son to actually accomplish his redemptive purpose. There is no greater example in Scripture. Acts 2.23, Luke writes, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite or predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's quoting part of that sermon. Let me read that again. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite or predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus had been teaching his disciples about his upcoming death and the need for it for quite a while before all this happened. But like us, They could not hear what they did not want to know. They could not hear what they didn't want to know. Later, of course, the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to what was going on and why it was necessary. Their amazement at God's grace towards them demonstrated by Jesus' life and his death in their place, utterly overwhelmed them and owned them for the rest of their lives. How could it not? And earlier when entering Jerusalem, Jesus had wept over it and also pronounced judgment upon it. And Luke 19, 43 and 44 records this. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation this was literally fulfilled as most of you realize in 70 AD when Rome destroyed the city and massacred its inhabitants Jesus is reiterating this coming judgment again here but he's using this fig tree to do it evidently then the nation in general was guilty of rejecting Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior. The one they wanted to come, the one they were waiting for eagerly to come, they rejected and had killed. They expected a different kind of Savior. They wanted a different kind of Savior who would do what they wanted him to do and fix the problems They wanted fixed. What they rejected was God in the flesh who came to deliver them from their greatest problem. 
which was not the Romans. It was their sinful hearts. As with all people, we do not want anyone else telling us what to do or telling us our motives and attitudes are sinful. What we do want is to look good to other people. And we actually believe that we can obey in the areas that we are comfortable obeying in. We want to hear that we're okay and that God will just look the other way. In fact, we want a God who will really, if we're honest, give us whatever we want, when we want, where we want, and leave us alone when we want to be left alone. Well, this was just the beginning of Monday. The second big event was the cleansing of the temple Temple after he gets into Jerusalem. So Jesus then goes to the temple. The disciples, remember, had just seen him do something really strange, curse a fig tree. But now Jesus displays his absolute authority over all things and over all men and women by something quite a bit more eye-popping than just confronting the leadership in debate or speech. He'd been doing that for a long time now. His harshest words were reserved for the spiritual leadership who were leading their people straight to hell by protecting a system that barely resembled anything that God had ever intended. In Matthew 11, Mark 11, excuse me, 15 through 19, we read there, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is astonishing for a lot more reasons. Right under the noses of the very men who were trying to kill him, Jesus not only drove out those selling and buying, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of the pigeon sellers, and kept everyone from carrying stuff through the temple, he also was teaching and instructing and teaching His teaching was so astonishing that Luke says the people were hanging on his words, quote-unquote. But he went on and did it. Does God's word astonish you and I? Are you and I hungry To find out more and more and more about what God did to save us? 
Does your heart yearn to hear about the God who sent His only Son to redeem you from your sin? Your heart will not yearn in hunger if you don't think you need to be saved, that your opinion matters more than His, that there is no real problem. If you realize how dark your own heart is and what your need is, this is good news. This reserves a place for your mouth to say, Hosanna, praise be to the Lord our King. What a demonstration of his authority and majesty and zeal for the purity of the place that pointed directly to him and his work. And what an indictment of the religious leaders. The people there got a very powerful lesson on what the purpose of the temple really was. And you can just feel the tension and fear as the leaders recognized they were getting exposed for the frauds that they really were. The religious leaders did nothing while he was right there among them because they were afraid of Jesus and the people's response to him. Now this week, follow these events and think about them and you can use the bulletin insert that not only has it laid out day by day, but it's got this cool map That'll just make you more confused. And you can use it as a guide, folded in half to fit anywhere as you do whatever you do this week. Walk with Jesus during these days and read John's account because it takes up most of his gospel. Starting in John 12, with the triumphal entry, all the way through chapter 20. And there's long passages of what and how Jesus taught his own disciples on this last week. It is fascinating. And how and what he prayed. Now remember... Before the foundation of the world, the Trinity had set this plan up. Jesus had willingly been the one to say, I will go. I will become a man and limit myself to a human body. And I will live this perfect life knowing that he would have to be the sacrifice for us. This is the last week. He came riding on into town, not on a white horse, on a donkey. Sweet, precious words of prophecy were sung out to him, shouted as he rode in. The truth. But he had to get through this first, do this first, before victory was won and he could come back the second time, which is what we get to look forward to. 
We get to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. What great timing. Always. The Lord's Supper is not appointed primarily for our physical bodies. Jesus instituted it primarily for our souls. Scripture teaches us that we receive true spiritual nourishment when we focus on and believe Christ. So as we sing, let the words of this hymn refresh and encourage your faith in the Lamb of God. How He did come and was the accepted atoning sacrifice for our sin and will come again as the King of Kings. <laughs> 